How many friends have you got? I tried to check my uh, listing on Facebook the other day. Couldn't figure out how many, uh, how, how many was listed there. But then I got thinking anyway, they're not really friends, are they? I mean, we call them friends. They're Facebook friends, but half of them I've never met. They're kind of friends of friends of friends, who I just went yes to. And I've never really spoken to half of them anyway. So they're not really friends. How many friends do you have? On one occasion in the Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoon, Peppermint Patty was talking to Marcy. She said, I'd like to read this book, Marcy, but I'm kind of afraid. I had a grandfather who didn't think too much of reading, and he used to say to me that if you read too many books, your head will fall off. Marcy said, Will you get the book and start reading the first chapter, and I'll hold your head. That's what a friend is. Someone who will be there for you, holding your head while you read. Apparently a British publication tried to find a, a, offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. There were loads, thousands and thousands of answers. Somebody who multiplies joy, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. Whatever that means. Somebody else said, one who understands our silence. It's not a bad definition. Someone else said, a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. Someone else said, a watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. Do you know what the winning definition was? A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Isn't that good? A friend is someone who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Howard Hendricks said you need three kinds of friends in your lives. You need a Paul, a Barnabas and a Timothy. A Paul, he says, is a spiritual mentor. If you're going to grow as a Christian, you need to have a friend who will mentor you, who is, in a sense, more mature than you are, is further down the Christian road than you are, who you can go to and say, Look, I've got this issue, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, or what would you do in this situation? Or someone who will just come to you and you'll go, you can go to and they can mentor you and help you to grow, like a teacher. A Barnabas, on the other hand, is an encourager. That's what Barnabas means, son of encouragement. Someone who will stick with you through thick and thin. Who will just journey alongside you, not always necessarily give you advice as you're going. But you can rely on them because they will be with you always. That's a Barnabas. And then you need a Timothy. A Timothy is someone that you can help to train. That you are the pool figure in their lives. So that your journey of faith is not just for yourself, but you can help someone else, encourage someone else, lift someone else up, teach someone else from the experience and the wisdom that God has taught you. You need a Paul, a Barnabas and a Timothy. I wonder who in your life would fit those figures. A Paul, a Barnabas and a Timothy. We've been looking together in the book of Philippians about joy. Paul, as I've reminded you before, here he is in prison, under house arrest, in Rome. 
He's chained 24-7 to two Praetorian guards, shackled to them. He's awaiting uh, an audience with Caesar who's going to determine whether he's going to have his head chopped off or whether he's going to live and be released. He doesn't know when that moment's going to come and he's there under house arrest. House arrest means it's not like a, a prison today. He has to stay within the house under chain guards but he has to feed himself. He has to you know, buy in everything that he needs. And so the churches sent offerings to him and people with those offerings brought them to give him enough resources on which to go out have somebody come and buy the food and, and cook and have everything he needs in the house to survive while he's waiting that moment when Caesar will say now you can come and see me I'm ready so there is Paul there and in his letter that he writes while he's in prison he writes back to the church in Philippi and it's full of joy and thanksgiving to God it's just one of the most upbeat kind of letters you can think of so full of joy and we've been asking ourselves well how come someone in that situation is so joyful because you know and I know that if you get a, an ingrowing toenail your life suddenly becomes miserable even if you get a little hangnail in your finger you're going oh that's so painful and my world has fallen apart if something doesn't go quite right in your life things just, oh, everything's a disaster and yet for Paul, he's still full of joy and we're saying, how can we learn that for ourselves? today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 to 30 and here Paul is describing two of his friends, his close friends one he calls uh, a brother and one he calls a son, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And in looking at how he describes their ministry and who they are, his friends, he gives us keys to how we can have an effective ministry for Jesus Christ. And how we can have the joy of Christ flowing through us in those ministries. So let's read together. Before we do that, we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you once more for your word. As we read together and as we study your word for a few moments today, we again ask that your Holy Spirit, that you sent at Pentecost all those years ago, you promised us that your Spirit would teach us your truth. And so teach us your truth today. Lord, we need your Spirit to be our teacher and our guide. And so we depend on him. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Paul gives us five keys, five essential elements for an effective ministry for Jesus Christ. In whatever ministry that is, through his two closest friends. He says in verse 19, Philippians 2, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not, for Jesus, not those of Jesus Christ. The first thing he says about Timothy, as he describes Timothy, is that Timothy puts people above profit. Look at how he describes him. Timothy came from a mixed marriage. 
His father was an unbeliever, a Greek. His mother was a Jew who converted to Christianity, Eunice. So he doesn't have the kind of a, a, a model upbringing, if you like. And yet, as he ministered with Paul, so Paul gradually trusted him more and more and more. Somebody described Timothy as fat, F-A-T. Faithful, available and teachable. Three things you need if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. Faithful, available to what he wants you to do and teachable by others. But look at how he describes him. He's, he says he's, he's putting people above his own wishes, above profit, above winning. He says in verse 20, I have no one else like him. In the Greek that means he's same souled. They have the same care, the same heart, the same, the same life beat together. You see Paul, you see Paul's heart, you'll see Timothy's heart. They are one and the same. That's what it means. That he cares for others. Remember what he said in chapter 2 earlier on in 3 to 5? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And in Timothy, he sees someone who has that same attitude. It's a guy that will serve. A guy that, that says, you know what, I want to do what is best for God's people and for, for those that don't know him. Someone said the world looks for winners, but God looks for servants. How true is that? Yeah. And we can ask ourselves, well, why do we come to church? Why do we come? I remember I asked the elders that years ago at an elders weekend. And I gave them all, I got them into groups and I gave them some modelling clay. And I said, model for me what church is, like what, what worship is. Why, why do you come to worship on a Sunday? And they all modelled different things. And one, of, one group modelled a battery. And everybody else went, oh yeah, that's awesome, that's really cool. And they said, well I kind of get worn down during the week and I come and I get plugged in like a rechargeable battery. And I get topped back up again. Well, that's partly true, I guess. But that's not why we should be coming to worship, is it? We should come with an attitude of service. An attitude of the heart that says, you know what, what can I do to serve others? I'm not coming here for myself, for my own spiritual battery to get topped up, so I can go off and let it just run down during the week. I come here to serve. And in some ways we shouldn't have any ministry teams in churches, should we? I mean, we need them for, for order and things. But actually we should all see things and go, you know what, let me just go do that. You know, I, I wonder why sometimes people come up to me and they say, you know what, Pastor, there's a bit of rubbish in the corner. And I'm like, well, why didn't you pick it up and put it in the bin? Why are you telling me? Why did you go see it? And then come all the way and find me to tell me what you've seen. You could have just picked it up and put it in the bin if it's rubbish. Why, why do we do that? We all do that. We're all guilty of it. But we should need that attitude that, that Timothy had of being servant. Of saying, you know what? I'm going to serve others. I'm not worrying about my own interests. I heard a wonderful illustration 
about that of D.L. Moody the North American preacher in the late 1800s he had a massive Bible conference and people from all over the world came and there was a whole group of European pastors that came and following the custom of the time when they were in their accommodation and Moody had showed them where their rooms were to sleep overnight each of the guests from Europe put their shoes outside the door because over here in Europe that's what you did and somebody, a, a hall servant would come along and clean your shoes for you ready for the morning it wasn't quite the same in North America at the time so at night time there he was, he went down the corridor and he saw all these shoes outside and he thought well what's, what's going to happen we don't have any hall servants to clean shoes so Moody picked them all up and took them back to his own room and in silence during that evening he cleaned every single shoe it was only because somebody came to his room in the middle of the night that anybody ever found out what he'd done he didn't want to embarrass those guys by waking up in the morning and having dirty shoes he didn't want to go and grab somebody else and say can you clean all the shoes because I'm the keynote speaker and this is my conference he just saw a need for a job to be done and he went and did it quietly that is the kind of attitude that we see in Timothy and that is what should be seen in us people first it's not about winning and losing it's about putting God's people God's plans before our own and serving others Jesus on the night that he was going to be betrayed when he had all that going on in his mind and in his life and in his heart took off his towel and washed their feet we need to do the same but let's carry on verse 22 but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon the second thing we see is that Timothy had proved himself Paul says there was character in Timothy before conformity he proved himself and Paul could say you know what this guy he's proved he's in, in effect he's done the exam and he's got the certificate he's passed he's proved himself he's proved himself because he's stuck with me through thick and thin through the hard times and the good times he's been there he's a guy I can rely upon he's proved himself because not only that he's volunteered for all the hard jobs the jobs that don't have any prestige the jobs that don't other people might not necessarily see Timothy is the kind of guy that will go and do those and I can trust him in that he's proved himself because he's had ample opportunity to run away and stay away and leave me alone just to cut and run and go you know what hanging around this guy Paul is a dangerous business you could get yourself killed but Timothy said no I'm going to stick with him he's proved himself because Timothy did the kind of roles that freed Paul up to do what he could do best, preach the gospel and so Timothy was relied on by Paul in his ministry, it was a team together 
And through that, through those sticking together, Timothy's character had grown more and more. And so Paul could say, I, he's proved himself. I can rely on him. I can send him anywhere and I know what's going to happen. I know what God is going to do in him and through him. Because he's allowed his character to grow right through those moments and that journey. You know, character grows when you have discipline and time. You do the things in a disciplined way that God wants you to do. You spend time doing it, you will grow in character. That's how growth happens in anything. You go to school, what are you told? There's a structure, there's a discipline, there is a time commitment. What happens? You learn. Because growth and discipline, oh sorry, time and discipline ends up with growth. And that is what we see in Timothy. So Paul can say he's proved himself. He's a son to me. I'm his father and we've worked together in the cause of the gospel. God needs people whose character can be moulded by his Holy Spirit to impact the world around. People like Timothy. But there's more. Look in verse 25. But I think, and now he changes to Epaphroditus. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now Epaphroditus was the leader, one of the leaders in the Philippian church. And the church in Philippi had a, a love offering for Paul. And they gave it to Epaphroditus. They said, who's going to go? Who's going to deliver this? There was no Western transfer. What do you call it? Um, Western what? Western Union. You couldn't, you couldn't go into Philippi and just, you know. Can you send this to this address in Rome? Thank you very much. Didn't work that way. And so Epaphroditus had to travel all that way. And he was the one that said, I'll go. Let me go. And he was sent and he came to support Paul and to give him this love offering from the church in Philippi. Notice what, how Paul describes him. He describes him as a brother in the Lord. He says, we're part of the same family. Epaphroditus and me, no difference, we're brother. He's also a fellow worker. In other words, he's on the same status as me. It's not like a disciple coming to a teacher. We're fellow workers together. We're, we're a team together working for the gospel. We might have different roles, may have different gifts and abilities, but we're still part of that same team. He's a fellow worker with me. Not only that, he's a fellow soldier, it says in verse 25. In other words, we have the same vision as well as what needs to happen. Soldiers all march together. They're there in unison, one. Working together, marching together, they have the same objective, the same goal. Sometimes they play different parts. We're just celebrating the Normandy landings. There was just a massive operation. So many different people playing different parts, but with the one objective. This is the objective. We need to land in Normandy, establish a beachhead, and then we can move out. 
That's what soldiering is all about. You play your part, you trust others to play theirs. We have the same vision and the same goal. But he also describes him as a messenger. The messenger you sent. The Greek, that's apostle. The sent one. The one that you have sent out to do that role. And so I'm going to send him as a messenger back with the letter of the book of Philippians. See, they're all part of that same team. Part of the body of Christ that he describes in 1 Corinthians. There's no rank pulling. There's no, I'm Paul, I'm the leader here, you're the servants. It's we are a team together working for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Ronald Reagan, when he was president of the US in the White House, he had a quote on his desk in the Oval Office from Robert Woodruff. He said this, It says, there is no limit to how far a man can go if he doesn't care who gets the credit. It's not a bad quote for a prime minister or a queen or a president. There is no limit to how far a man can go if he doesn't care who gets the credit. There was no credit with Paul. No rank pulling. No, I've done this and you've not done that. He said, we're just a team together, working together. You want to be effective for Jesus Christ? He says, put people before profit. Be a servant. Put your character before conformity. Work together as a team. Then look at verse 26 and 27. For he longs for all of you, And is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only but also on me. To spare me sorrow upon sorrow. You know what Epaphroditus did? He put the kingdom before his own comfort. He took that 800 mile journey from Philippi to Rome. And when he got there he fell ill and he almost died. Why? because he would do anything for the kingdom of God regardless of the own risk to himself regardless for his own inconvenience or comfort and now Paul is talking with him and contemplating sending him back he's got to do it all over again and he's still there going yeah I'm happy to go I'll do it why? because he has the kingdom in his heart he's going You know what, if God wants me to do that, that's what I'm going to do. I don't care whether I live or die. It's like Paul. He says, I don't mind whether I... To die is gain. I'm going to be with Christ. But if I'm still here, God can use me. So I'm not worried. I want to just carry on, focus on what God wants me to do. How God is going to use me in the place that he's put me. I don't mind about the risk. I don't mind about the comfort. I don't mind about the inconvenience. Let me just carry on doing the ministry of Jesus Christ wherever I am. We need to learn how to put kingdom instead of comfort. And lastly, verses 28 to 30. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you will be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Paul is sending him back. 
even though he's still needed in Rome, even though Paul can see a purpose, a use for him, how God is using him in Rome, he doesn't want them worrying. And what does he tell the church to do? He says, honour him. Why? Because he risked his life in serving Christ. See that in verse 30? Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Literally that means he gambled his life. It's it's like he put it all on a a roulette table. And he said, you know what God? I'm going to put my life out there. I'm going to risk it for you. I'm going to watch what you do with it. That's how much he put service before his own security. He said, I just want to serve Christ. I don't mind what happens. Let me just serve him. I just want to carry on doing that, just as Paul. Oswald Chambers said, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. He put service before himself. I love the story about General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. In his later life he lost his eyesight, he went completely blind. And when the doctors found out that he was, he was blind and that it was irre, irre, um, not recoverable, they told his son Bramwell, who was given that difficult task, to go and tell his father. And so he told him and his father said, do you mean that I'm blind? And his son said, yeah, I hear we must contemplate that. And the father said, you mean I'm never ever going to see your face again? And Bramwell said, probably not in this world. And then Booth went quiet for a moment and he said this. He said, I've done what I could for God and for his people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God without my eyes. That is what service is all about. Not worrying about yourself, but just living your life sold out for Jesus Christ. People, character, teamwork, kingdom and service. Those are the five keys to an effective ministry. If you hold them, if you work on them, if you say, Spirit of God, Change me so that I can be more people orientated and less profit. That I can be more about you building my character to be more like Jesus Christ and less about my own agenda and conforming to the world around me. That I can work with others as a body and not about myself and my own little empire. That I can build your kingdom. That I can be sold out for your kingdom and for your values. Regardless of what it costs me. And that I will serve you with all of my life. Then your ministry will be effective for Jesus Christ. I heard about a group of botanists who went on an expedition up in the Alps. They were searching for new varieties of plants. And one day a scientist looked through a pair of binoculars and he saw a beautiful rare species growing halfway down this cliff face. And they wanted to go and collect it and bring it up and so they could study it. They didn't know how to get it. And finally, this young Swiss guy came walking along. 
And they said to him, Can we lower you down? Would you go and get it for us? We'll tie a rope around your waist and we'll hold on to the other end of the rope. Can we just lower you down and you can pick it for us? He thought about it for a moment and then he agreed. And as they tied the rope around his waist, he looked at them and he said, just wait for a moment. And he ran off. And he came back with this older gentleman. He said, now I will go. And the older gentleman held the rope and lowered him down. And when the botanist talked to who that guy was, that was the father of the son. He knew his father wouldn't let go. He didn't necessarily trust the botanist. You know, living with these values, people, character, teamwork, kingdom and service, it's not easy. But the reward is worth it. Being part of God's team, involved in what God is building, receiving the joy and the peace that comes from being in tune with Him, seeing the power and the presence of God at work in us and through us and in others is an amazing, amazing place to be. You want to be effective for Jesus Christ? You want to, have, you want to know what that's like? Then work on these characteristics in your own life but remember this when the going gets tough your father your heavenly father is holding the rope he's never going to let you down he's never going to drop you when he sends you over the side of that cliff and you're hanging there and you go I'm not sure I like this anymore he's still holding on because he's promised never to leave you never forsake you There will be scars from following Christ. But they are worth it. Because those will be the scars of love. I'm going to close with one last thing. I heard about a young boy who was given a pair of roller skates for his birthday. His parents wouldn't let him outside first because he was all over the place on these roller skates. So they said, just practice indoors. And he went round the kitchen table, round and round and round on his roller skates while he was trying to get better. And one time he was going around there, his father was there watching him. And he lost his balance and he started going straight towards the stove and on the stove was a pot of boiling water. He knew as the boy was starting to reach out to grab the stove that the water would go all over him. So the father leapt and rugby tackled his son. But in doing so, the pot fell over, or his hand rather, as he pushed the pot back and as he pushed his son away, his hand hit the hot element on the stove. And as he fell to the floor with his son, it tore all the skin off his hand. Later, many years later, when that father died, as he was lying there in the casket, the uh, funeral directors they hid his scarred hand underneath his other one because it was unsightly and it didn't look nice and his son came up and he said what are you doing and he gently pulled that hand out and laid it on top of the other one he said because that is the scar of love 
We're going to eat and drink in a moment. And remember the scars that Jesus has still in his hands and his feet and his side. They're scars of love. The scars which he wrought, which he accepted on himself, so that God's Spirit might come and teach us what it means to be effective for him. You want to be effective? You want to allow him to show you off like we saw last week as stars shining in the sky? Then focus on these things. Learn from Timothy. Learn from Epaphroditus. Learn from Paul what you need to be effective for Christ's service. Let us pray. Lord, we have scars because life is not easy. But I pray that those scars, some of them anyway, will be scars of service for you. I know there's a story about a guy that goes to heaven and he's standing there and people come and look at him and they're just staring at him. And he's getting quite self-conscious and he's saying, what what, what are you staring at? And they say, well, who are you? And he said, well, I was in the church. I was treasurer, I was church secretary. I used to preach, I did this, I did that. And they said, yes, but where are your scars? We don't see any scars. We can't serve you out of comfort, Lord. We can only serve you when we're willing to go where you want us to go do what you want us to do accept the cost of taking up our cross every day and following you that's why you sent so many people away because they weren't willing to pay the price you want us to be effective in ministry we want to be effective in ministry we want to have your Holy Spirit the power of your Spirit flowing through us Lord, help us to accept the scars. To accept the cost of following you. People over profit. Character over conformity. Teamwork rather than hierarchies. Kingdom values rather than self. And service, service to you instead of security. Lord, then we will know what true joy is all about as we follow you and are in tune with your spirit. We thank you that you give us your spirit to help us. And we thank you that you continually mould us and make us more like your son. Bless us, Lord as we think about and ponder these words from your word. In the name of Christ. Amen.